be glorified. Amen. Verse 28. So after Jesus had said this, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, I've said they're heading south, so they've come through Jericho. He's gone out of his way for a reason, and I think you'll see that this morning. They're heading south, but they're going up because Jericho's below sea level, and Jerusalem's like 3,800 feet above sea level, so this is like driving from Loveland to Estes Park sort of a thing, okay? They're going up to Jerusalem, but here you see it. I've been saying for a number of weeks now, they're heading to Jerusalem, and this is exactly what's happening right here. So verse 29. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. So these are tiny villages on the east side of, uh, of the hill here the, the, of the garden, okay? And they're coming over the top. The Mount of Olives is what I, what I meant to say. They're, they're coming from the east side through these little villages. They're coming over the top down toward Jerusalem. That's, that's what's happening right here. These little villages are just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Now hold on to that because it's very important. So it says, He sent two of His disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Now when you see those words, a colt that no one has ever ridden, do you get the image of an unbroken colt? I mean, whoever gets on an unbroken colt and just starts riding it, okay? What this shows is it shows the supremacy and the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can get on an unbroken colt and ride it as though it were broken. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you and I were created with that same kind of dominion, but we've lost our privilege of walking in this the moment Adam and Eve sinned, okay? But here, Jesus has dominion. He can sit on an unbroken animal, okay? This is what's going on here. He said, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them as they were untying the colt. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. So we think about this donkey, and we don't think that's any big deal. It sounds kind of like a, a humble animal, but really, this is a royal deal. Uh, in this day, it was very common for kings or triumphant soldiers to be paraded into the villages on a donkey. So Jesus is getting royal treatment happening here. By this time, Jesus is very popular. His following had increased greatly, especially since the moment he raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, word about this is just spreading in a huge way. They're coming into Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, which means Jews are coming from all over the world for this time. The miracle that we see here is the fact that Jesus could tell those disciples exactly where that colt would be and they would go there and find it just as he said. They, they didn't have call, uh, um, cell phones to call ahead and say, hey, Jesus is coming. This is where we need that colt to be, okay? So Jesus knew where that colt would be. It's not quite as amazing that the owners would so gladly loan it to Jesus because they knew who Jesus was. They expected him to come as the Messiah at this moment. So they would gladly loan this animal. Verse 36, we're going on. As Jesus went along, 
people spread their cloaks on the road. So they're literally paving the way for Jesus with their garments. Again, an expression of royalty. Okay, the fact that the animal was unbroken shows deity, but the way people are treating Jesus shows royalty. Okay, two things going on there. Verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the, the Mount of Olives. So you see what's happening here. He's come over on the, on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives through Bethany, Bethphage. He's coming over the top, and now he's coming down the west side into Jerusalem. Hold on to that. Cool stuff. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, right there, Matthew uses the word moved. And when Matthew inserts the word moved, he's literally saying that the crowd was moved as in an earthquake. So he's saying that there is incredible energy going on here the moment Jesus enters the village, enters Jerusalem. So it's adding to this sense that he's coming with power and is going to establish his kingdom. The unfortunate thing is that while Jesus has done all these miracles in in the northern region, even in Samaria, he's not going to be able to do much here because of a lack of faith that permeates this very religious environment. Going on, this is what the crowd is shouting, like an earthquake. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now this is the only time in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry when He allows who He is to be publicly affirmed. Up to this point, people recognizing who He was, if they wanted to make it known, He'd tell them things like, no, 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 let's not say that too loud right now because my time has not come. But right here and right now, Jesus' time has come. The thing that he came to do will be fulfilled at this moment. And there's two reasons why he wants the word to get out here at this point. Number one, because he wants it to be clear that he is truly the one prophesied in Scripture. That he is the Son of God come in the flesh. That he is the Messiah, the Deliverer who has come to set people free. That's number one. But number two, because he wants to force the hand of hands of the religious establishment to make sure that prophecy is fulfilled and he's crucified this week. You see, this is not the week for them to act on Jesus. If there's one thing they didn't want to do, it was to publicly punish someone during the Passover. But in order for Scripture to be fulfilled, Jesus is proclaiming things that are upsetting them to force their hand into motion. They think they're controlling Jesus but all deity, the power of God is at work making sure prophecy is being fulfilled here. Jesus came to take your sins and my sins upon Him in order that we might have hope of being with our Father forever and ever. So where we are right now, we are in the final week of Jesus' life. That's what's happening. The church typically celebrates this the Sunday before Uh, Easter, which is right on with the way it works with the Passover. We call it Palm 
Sunday because in the Gospel of John they waved palm branches, the crowd did, at, at Jesus. The better name here would be the triumphant entry. And that's what we call it because this is a victorious moment for the church as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But to those Jewish soldiers who are watching what was going on, this wouldn't be any big deal to them. They've seen triumphant entries before. If if an army conquered 5,000, they would throw a parade and they would put on a big deal. Yeah, the lead soldier would come in on a donkey, but there was a whole lot of other stuff coming in. This was a very simple thing, but this is Jesus fulfilling everything that was said about him. And many who are observing this would have said, this sounds a lot like what Zechariah prophesied. And I want you to see Zechariah's prophecy here in the Scriptures. In fact, I want you to read it with me, and I'll have some emphasis as we read this. Here it is on the screen, Zechariah 9.9. Read it together with me. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your King comes to you, righteous, and having salvation. Stop. I just want you to see that word gentle. Okay? Now say the word gentle again and carry on. Gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the timing is perfect. Everything is in place for the fulfillment of this prophecy. As Jesus comes, the people go wild with celebration. They were sure that their moment of liberation has arrived and it's in this man, Jesus Christ. But the Pharisees, the religious establishment, those who dedicated their whole lives to understanding the Scriptures, they miss it. And what they're recognizing is that these people are quoting Scriptures. And not only are they quoting Scriptures, they're quoting Messianic Scriptures. Scriptures that are referring to the coming of the Lord. And when they declare them, they're declaring Psalm 118. And I want you to see Psalm 118. This is what the people are shouting from as they give praise to Jesus. It says here, Psalm 118, 22. The stone the builders rejected. Now look at that. This is the first part of the prophecy that the people missed. They're expecting Jesus to come in power but they miss the fact that the first time He comes, He will be rejected, right? But that's not the end of Jesus' story. He has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in, his, in, in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O oh Lord, save us. And, and you, you have to add the word in understanding the language. Save us now. It's a compound word, Yashana, from which we get our word, Hosanna. Save us now. It's the cry of a people in bondage looking for their liberation. It's a picture of an oppressed people wanting to be set free. And this is what they're expecting. Lord, save us now. And then it goes on. Oh Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Pharisees are offended. They see this as sacrilegious blasphemy, giving Jesus this kind of praise. And so they tell Jesus, keep your people quiet. But not Jesus. What does He do? He defends them. And He says, if they keep quiet, 
the stones will cry out. And you know when he says the stones will cry out, he's talking about there'll, there'll be some kind of major earthquake that takes place if you keep these people from praising me. Why? Because the prophecies are being fulfilled and everything that Jesus is doing is setting the tone for God's plan of ultimate victory for us and for His second coming when He comes to make everything right. Does this give anybody any hope? Wow. Every prophecy of God will be fulfilled. You can count on it. You can count on it. You can look forward to it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep praying. Don't get discouraged. Well, there's more good stuff here, so we better keep moving on, okay? Again, this this crowd has the wrong idea. They're expecting Jesus to do this now, but the reason I had you read that word in Zechariah 9.9, gentle, is because... While Jesus is coming in on a donkey is very royal, right? uh, coming in in a gentle fashion is not. Because Jesus comes in a very unassuming way. He comes with great humility. The zealots were wanting to come with a strong arm and to take control, but He's operating out of a greater wisdom. He's operating out of great love. The kind of love that says, I am here to lay down my life for you. The kind of the kind of gentleness that says my father has a bigger plan and because I trust that plan I'm going to go forward from here with great confidence and strength knowing that every purpose of God will be fulfilled. Meekness isn't weakness. It's the power of relying on who God is and what God has said. So we have a crowd deaf to the first part of the prophecies expecting Jesus to establish His kingdom. And guess what happens when He doesn't do it the way they think He should? They cry, Hosanna on Sunday, but they'll cry, crucify Him on Friday. God, You do things my way or I'm out of here. God, you do it my way or I'm not going to have anything to do with you. In fact, God, you do things my way or I will nail you to a cross. And there's a really strong application right here at this point. Friends, God's not going to do things your way. Please don't fall away when things don't play out the way you think they should but rather keep your eyes on Him and trust Him and He will do exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ever ask, hope, dream, or imagine. Read with me from 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Let's read it together. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's why I want you to know this. Don't fall away as you see things playing out. As the world gets darker, keep your eyes on Jesus all the more. And what are we to do? I put in here Hebrews 10.25. Let's read it together. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And in that same context, it tells us to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
That's what we're about. That's why we need the church. I heard someone on the radio say today, religion is a private thing. No, it's not. I don't want to do my faith without you. There are some days I want to give up and then you come into my life and you spur me on and I want to keep on going. We need to learn how to function better as a body. Not as the Church of America, but as the body of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what we need to learn to do. The disciples can't understand this. Can you think of a situation in your life that when you're... And maybe you're there right now. You might just be there right now. You're going through it. You don't like it. You don't understand it. It's not working out the way you thought it should. And maybe you've been in a circumstance like that in the past and looking back on it, now you can see, wow, I'm sure glad God had His way there. Okay? This is just the way it works in the kingdom of God. I was thinking about that and I thought of the words of David in the psalm. Look at these, Psalm 27, 13 and 14. He said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he gives us this little command. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. (laughs) Friend, wait on the Lord. Hear what the Scripture is saying. Well, I want to go on because there's still a lot more in this this, uh, text today. Verse 41. So as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus, coming from the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives through Bethany and Bethphage, coming over the top. Now He's heading down the Mount of Olives, but from the top of the mount, He can look into the city, into the Kidron Valley, and He can see the opening to the temple. He came on a donkey. But when He comes again in the clouds, He's coming from that same direction over that same mountain. But He's coming like lightning so that everyone in the world can see Him. He's just marking out the path, the direction from which the Lord comes. This is what we see happening here. The night Jesus was born, the angels declared these words, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men, and then the original language, some of the uh, original manuscripts have on whom his favor rests. But right here at this moment, Jesus says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So here are these people with their source of peace standing right in front of them, And though they're celebrating Him, they can't see who He really is. They're totally missing it. Jesus knew that while they're celebrating Him in this moment, they'd be rejecting Him in the next. So here's this crowd rejoicing, but at the same time, Jesus is weeping. And so here's an application for all of us right now. Hear this word. Can you see that Jesus Christ is the way to peace. Can you see that Jesus Christ is the way to peace with God right now? If you can see that, that is a miracle of God. 
If you can see Jesus as the peace to God, then what you are seeing is the way to peace with yourself and the way to peace with your fellow man. Too much in our world is about worshiping peace. There will not be any peace apart from coming to peace with God. It's only when we get there that God can get us in a posture of absolute peace. Can you see it? Come. Come to Jesus. If you can't see it, it's been hidden from your eyes. You just keep seeking God. I am not being condescending to you because you can't see it. But I just want to tell you, seek God. But if you can see it, come. Here Jesus is weeping at their blindness in the first set of scriptures, but when you go on, he's he's weeping at what's going to happen because of their blindness. Look what he says starting in verse 43. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build embankments against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. What Jesus just said there was fulfilled in 70 A.D., 40 years later. When Roman soldiers came in, I think that they pounded the city for something like 126 days. 600,000 plus Jews were killed on that day. And this is what Jesus is prophesying. He goes on. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children with you, your walls, within your walls, excuse me. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So he's just talking about the glorious temple being destroyed, this magnificent city, the center of worship, not one stone being left upon another, destroyed to the point that we couldn't recognize where the foundation to the temple was until recently. Okay, It's just now being realized where all this was. Jesus is looking at this great city and he's weeping because he knows exactly what will happen. But I want you to hear those words. Jesus is weeping about this. Did you hear me? God takes no pleasure in judgment. Did you hear me? Did you hear what the Spirit says and what the Word says? God takes no pleasure in judgment. Now, you'll find people in churches that take pleasure in judgment. That's not the heart of God. What God takes pleasure in is giving mercy. One of my favorite verses in Micah 6.8 shows the heart of God when it says, He has shown you, God has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So do you see what God does? He does justice, right? He doesn't do it very often, but every once in a while, He has to implement justice to correct wrongs. But if you want to know what God is always doing throughout the generations, if you want to know what God really loves doing, He loves extending pardon and mercy to anyone who will receive it. That's the nature. So here are these people declaring Jesus is the Messiah. It's not going to play out the way they want it to, but it will play out exactly according to God's plan. I want to bring this to an end and then I want to go to communion but I want to point us back to our study of Nehemiah. And during the time of Nehemiah, Daniel is prophesying, and he prophesies about this triumphant entry that we just saw right here today. He says these words, Daniel, 500 years before. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 
until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and seventy-two sevens. Now, they didn't know, or excuse me, sixty-two sevens. Thank you. Excuse me. Seventy-seven, sixty-two sevens. We didn't know what this meant. We didn't have foresight, but we have hindsight because we know now that what he's talking about is years. Forty-nine years, seven sevens, plus sixty-two sevens, uh, 434 years. If you add those two together, you have 483 years. If you look at the time and life of Christ and when exactly Passover would have fallen, we land on the date, April 6, 32 A.D. If you back up 483 years, you'll find yourself, according to the Babylonian calendar, which is a 354-day year, not like our calendar that has to adjust itself every once in a while, 354-day year, a lunar year, you come to the date, March 14th, 445 B.C., which is potentially the day when King Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to go to work rebuilding Jerusalem. Now, I share that with you, and we shouldn't be surprised because God's handiwork is in all this. But not only will God's prophecies be fulfilled, they will be, they will be fulfilled on the exact moment that God says they will be fulfilled. Everything will happen according to God's plan. And on this day, the people are shouting, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Friends, this is good news for you. It's good news for me. Because in these last days, when we wonder if Jesus will ever come back, you can know it's happening exactly according to God's plan. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes. In Christ. It's going to happen. And just as he came into Jerusalem on that donkey over the Mount of Olives from the east, riding into the west so that he could see the opening of the great temple, he's coming from the east again. He's coming again in the sky. And so I close with this scripture as encouragement. First Thessalonians four. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Christian brothers are being martyred at this time. Don't grieve for them. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming again. All eyes on Jesus. I'm going to ask if uh, someone would get the kids from their classroom while we move into a time of communion. But right now, I'm just going to give you a moment alone with the Holy Spirit to consider why God brought you here, what it is He wants you to know, and what it is He wants you to do. Let's do that.